nice little hiatus. Blizzard's After Dark is back, guys. We've got a real podcast talking about real basketball. I'm recording this on the afternoon of Wednesday, September 18th. And we are 12 days away from Wizards Media Day. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. And of course, I've got somebody on the Skype line, because I've always got somebody on the Skype line. And today, it is also from The Athletic, Danny LaRue. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great. I'm good. I still got kind of like a vacation brain. We didn't do a podcast for two weeks. I didn't write for two weeks. I had a story up this morning. Uh, we, I got some, uh, you know, I gotta like work my way back into it, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. We're going to see how this podcast goes. Well, speaking of working your way back into it, I think that's a natural lead into Isaiah Thomas. Wow. Wow. I have not had a hiatus. You're like the dream guest right now. You're doing my transitions for me. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, let's talk about, okay. So Isaiah Thomas. In case you missed it, Isaiah Thomas, the backup point guard for the Wizards, not the former Pistons point guard, underwent surgery to repair a rupture of a ligament in his left thumb today. The Wizards say he's going to miss six to eight weeks, which, by the way, if we interpret that literally, six to eight weeks means he's returning sometime between October 30th and November 13th. The Wizards game in Boston is on November 13th. So Isaiah Thomas is going to want to play in that Boston game. Because, obviously, he has missed Boston games. That would be really unfortunate if he had to miss the game up in Boston. Just really unfortunate. But, obviously, there are things to talk about from this. Uh, Daniel, what do you think? Going back to the Nets a couple of years ago, pre-D'Angelo Russell, they were the crystallization for me of an idea that I think it's very important for NBA teams to have 48 good minutes at, if you want to call it point guard, you can call it point guard. I sometimes use the term primary ball handler because some teams have a guy, let's say James Harden or LeBron James or somebody else, Bradley Beal can fit this bill, who who can handle the ball and doesn't defend point guards. But you need 48 good minutes there because otherwise most teams' offenses stall. And what concerns me a little bit about the Wizards is they have Ish Smith, they have Bradley Beal, but at least as I see their roster... I don't really see a lot else other than Isaiah, and so I think this puts them on pretty shaky ground. And that can be shaky ground for foul trouble in a given game, or maybe a guy tweaks an ankle and has to sit out for the second half, or you know, an extended injury. And I, I don't know how Tommy Shepard, how Ted Leonsis are thinking about this team in terms of like the playoffs, or anything like that. But if that's in the corner of their mind, even it makes that it, it's a reminder that that sort of thing is why you need depth. Yeah, I mean, the point guard play was already going to be a struggle. Ish Smith is a is a really solid backup point guard, but there's a reason that he has not really been a starting point guard on a decent team for his entire career. He doesn't really shoot, and, and there are going to be flaws with Ish Smith playing 32 minutes a game at point guard. Some of them are exacerbated because if Bradley Beal is really your number one facilitator, but even so, you you still need a point guard behind him who can be competent. I don't know who that's going to be now. Like with Isaiah Thomas out, and, and I didn't expect, you know, a lot of people talked about, I wrote this today, a lot of people talk about like the Wizards trying to recapture capture lightning in a bottle with Isaiah Thomas, and hopefully he can be healthy and maybe he can't do what he did his final year in Boston, but he can still be a really good player. 
I don't think that's what the Wizards were expecting with this. I think they were kind of hoping for a competent backup point guard play, and that's about it. But if he's going to be out, their point guard situation's weird. They can end up with technically five point guards on the roster if he's out. Because Justin Robinson is fighting for a spot. And Justin Robinson has like a nice partial on his deal. And he could end up making the roster now because you need some kind of backup point guard. John Wall is out for probably the year. And if Isaiah Thomas is out, and then you have Isaac Bong on the roster, who's probably not ready to play, and I'm I'm willing to say is not ready to be a backup point guard playing 15 to 20 minutes a night on an NBA team right now, regardless of the caliber of that NBA team. That means you could have five point guards on the roster come opening night. Because of the injuries, it's just a weirdly constructed roster. I don't think there's anything that you could possibly do about that. Now, like... You can say, all right, Troy Brown's going to be our backup point guard. He's going to play 18 minutes. And I don't know if Troy Brown necessarily running your offense for 18 minutes a night is the worst case scenario, but I don't think Troy Brown is a guy you want necessarily guarding ones. I think he's a lot more ideal guarding wings. So I don't know if that's necessarily what you want to do. You can ease your way into that, but I don't know if that's what you want to do right away, right off the bat. Like this is a chance for Justin Robinson to maybe step up as a undrafted guy you know there's there's a lot of trickle down effect just from Isaiah Thomas even if he's only out until October 30th or November 1st or whatever it ends up being you know that's a really long-winded way of saying that we're going to see Point Bertans isn't it yeah <laughs> Point Bertans is that's that's all I need yeah and and the other option for Tommy Shepard is to use one of their two-way slots. I, I don't I don't have an, a locked-in knowledge of which teams have and have not used their two-way slots on a point guard, at least at the beginning of the year, and then you run through some of those days in case you need somebody else, and especially because the Wizards are going to have some inactives. We already know that. Could be a little bit of a workaround. I think teams generally should be more creative than they have been with those two-way slots. I criticized the Warriors last year for Marcus Derrickson, that they didn't they didn't really do enough there. He didn't really, you know, move the needle all that much. So that could be something Shepard could do. And point guard is a position, generally speaking, where there are a lot of guys in that kind of like fringy level. So maybe you could actually get somebody to do that with the understanding of when Isaiah gets back, we'll let you loose. And and I think maybe somebody would be interested in that because they could get actual NBA playing time. Yeah, that could be plausible. I mean, you could use like a Chris Chioza on that and that could be something like Chioza was really good in the G League, and he's actually a very good passer. He got signed by uh, by Houston last year, obviously, for a little bit, and I guess he's somebody you could end up doing for that. But it's 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 tough. It's a complicated situation. I, I do think Jordan McRae is going to make the roster. He's only partially guaranteed now. They owe him $400,000 of his minimum contract so far. He has another $200,000 trigger on, I believe it's the first day of the season gets another $200,000 in his contract guarantees in December. I think he's going to make the roster. I think he's going to be there. I feel the most confident of him, of any non-guaranteed guy or partially guaranteed guy, I feel the most confident that he's going to make the roster. But I don't think he's a one. Like I think he's a very straight two. He's just not the facilitator and passer to do that. He's a scoring guard. He's the definition of a scoring guard to me. So I don't I don't want him as my backup one. You know, maybe in a pinch every once in a while, that's fine, but I don't want him as my backup one for 18 minutes a night. I need somebody who can facilitate around him, you know, and then just let him score at the two and let him be himself. Don't force himself into a mold he can't play in. So 
They got some stuff to figure out. I don't know where it's going to end up going. The other solution, something that uh, a term that has been used around Scott Brooks in other circumstances is a stagger. And so in this context, what the stagger would be is separating out Ish Smith and Bradley Beal a little bit more. And so hoping uh, a full stagger would be that one of them is on the floor at any given time. Maybe you don't go that extreme, but you lessen the load to maybe like five minutes, maybe five to eight. And so then a couple minutes per half, you have one of these other players take the lead and think we'll survive in those minutes, can do a couple different things, maybe even get a little bit more gimmicky in that time. The downside there is that if you signed Ish Smith with the intention of playing him with Bradley Beal, a stagger separates those players out more. In certain circumstances, that can be a good thing because it can create some better lineups. And in other cases, if the main pieces are symbiotic, then then you want them playing together. But I, I think that might be the easiest way to get some of those losses away from the team is just, okay, Beal and Ish, I, I don't know how many minutes they want to play Ish, but like let's say they just they just get less time together. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, from a roster construction standpoint, that doesn't really change anything, though. Like you still, you still need right. Another you point you guard. still, you still, you still need all those guys, and you still I mean, need somebody you, there. Yeah, exactly. But it is, it is a mitigation in terms of risk, and it's not like the Wizards are so wing heavy that that opens up more minutes for somebody like that. Depending on where they want Bradley Beal, it's just that it puts less pressure on somebody like Justin Robinson or Isaac Bonga. To, to handle that kind of a workload. Yeah. I, man, Bonga is so intriguing. He's just he's just interesting. He's still 19 years old. Hasn't he been 19 years old for like three years? That it's one of the benefits of, of players who come into the league super young is that you get this. Oh, one I mean, of the benefits of being young is that you're young? No, is, is that, that you works? get like the – yes, thank you, Fred. Is that the – those adjustment years – come earlier in the development cycle and so you hope that the reps and even just the experience of being in an NBA conditioning program being around that type of player that it leads to positives and there are questions about how how much validity that has you obviously get into sample issues because no two players are the same and so this guy spent three years in college or abroad or any number of other things but yeah I, I think that's exciting and something that I wanted to ask you about is I, I mentioned the idea of, you know, where are the playoffs in, in Shepard's mind and Leonsis's mind, and that's an important part of how Scott Brooks, Shepard, everybody else manages this roster because the Wizards have a lot of guys, not necessarily that they used a ton of resources on, but they have a lot of players that I think they need to figure out what they are. And I wonder... Obviously, a lot of that comes through in practice, and I've had numerous people say, you know, basically like that playing. Like I've had, you know, listeners, subscribers to the Athletic and all that sometimes talk about how, oh, this guy's not playing, so you're not getting no. Like there, there are lots of other ways that coaching staffs can do that through practices, film sessions, all sorts of other shoot-arounds, all those sorts of things. But I do think Admiral Schofield, Jamario Jones, if he makes the team, Bonga, McRae, Wagner, like all these, all these guys are going to need – evaluation time and probably evaluation time on the main roster. So that's going to be really a really challenging thing to manage. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I I don't think the playoffs are anywhere near at least management's mind. You know, coaches and players, they think different. But in terms of management, I don't think the playoffs are 
are anywhere close, to be honest. I think I think they're going into this season realistically knowing that whatever success comes, it will come down the line, and it's not coming in 2020 or 2019. Like I don't think anybody has that sort of expectation. I think they know they're going to be near the bottom of the league with this roster. And I think that that expectation should make Scott Brooks feel more free to play young guys because you don't have to feel like you're, the wins and losses are determining your job status. Like, I don't think Scott Brooks is going to get ousted because they have a 300 winning percentage instead of a 330 winning percentage, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. And so, something that I think I've gained a greater appreciation for doing dunked on, watching the whole league, is that evaluating young players does not necessarily mean throwing them all out on the court and seeing what happens. A, a great example of this is Phoenix, where Devin Booker has you know put up crazy numbers and, and, and very, very successful statistically over the course of his career. But having players like him and Josh Jackson and numerous other players with Phoenix without appropriate complementary pieces – it can sometimes get players into bad habits, but in some ways, more importantly, it makes it harder to understand how they fit in on a good team. So I think that's a benefit of playing Hashimura with some of their more established players, you know, Hashimura and Beal, whatever bigs they want to try to roll with to figure out how he works with the best rim protector that the Wizards have, whoever the heck that turns out to be. And the, maybe the spacing of Bertans, depending on how they see some of these guys positionally defensively. So I, I hope that that, Forest doesn't get lost for the trees either because just throwing Brown and Wagner and McRae on the floor, yeah, you get to see them and there, there are benefits to that too and reps are important, but it's also very good to, to get a better, more cogent idea of how a given player fits in a more optimistic long-term scenario. You want to hear a fun stat? I want to talk about this. Let me call this up. Hold on. We're doing this. This is how prepared I am for, for this podcast. I told you, I still have vacation brand. I have none of this called up, but I'm going to call it up right now. All right. So I had a story up on The Athletic today. You can go on The Athletic. You can subscribe. $5 a month. You can read all my wizard stuff. You can read all of Danny's stuff. You can read stuff from any NBA team, any MLB team, NFL, all that stuff. Anyway, I had a story up there this morning about stats, relevant stats to watch for each of the Wizards' new guys. And my one for Bertans was that the Spurs averaged 1.16 points per possession that Bertans set a screen for DeMar DeRozan. For perspective, the Warriors averaged 1.15 points per possession last year, which was best in the NBA. So when when Bertans set a screen for DeMar DeRozan, the Spurs' offense was awesome. I watched a bunch of those plays. The reason I think that that is relevant is because I think Burton setting screens for Bradley Beal is going to be really effective for them this year. A lot of people think of Davis Bertans as a guy who is going to hang around the corners. He's an unbelievable corner three shooter. I've mentioned on this podcast before and in stories that Davis Bertans shot the exact same percentage on corner threes last year as John Wall shot on layups. That's how good of a corner three shooter he is. I think that's, that is the most ridiculous thing ever. It's insane. People think of him as this stand-around catch-and-shoot guy. 
or people think of him as even maybe running off of screens. But he's very good at opening himself up when he sets screens, which is a great skill. I am. What do you think of the way that Bertans is going to fit into this? Because I, I think Bertans has been a little bit of an overlooked guy. People have talked a lot about Isaiah Thomas, about Ish Smith, about Rui Hachimura. There's a chance that Bertans was their best off-season acquisition, the guy who can make the biggest impact, at least in the upcoming season. And I am curious. I think he fits really well with Beal. I think he's going to add shooting. You know, I talked about him setting screens for DeRozan. Well, DeRozan runs a lot of those curls around the elbow and comes in. Beal runs those too, except with Bertans, with Bertans setting him for Beal now, he can free Beal up for threes and for those curls around the elbow that he can receive and then go straight to the basket. It's just going to be a lot more versatile types of screening actions and all that stuff. What do you think about the way that he fits into this roster and how the Wizards can use him? Because I, I think there's a good conversation to be had about all the different kinds of ways he opens things up for them. I've really liked Bertans for a long time, and I like that you brought up the value as a screener. There, I think, first of all, screening is an incredibly underrated part of the modern NBA, and part of it is because of the frustration that a lot of young bigs in particular are just bad screeners. And Bertans isn't, from what I recall, like the best one, but what he brings, even if the screen isn't the greatest contact, is the threat that you can't leave him too open. And Bertans, his footwork is good, he knows where he needs to get to, and a lot of defending is about immediate reactions and Bertans inspires that sort of a reaction where if his man or depending on if they're switching or whatever it's going to be thinks he's backing towards three-point line I need to be out on him then that person is further away from last year DeMar DeRozan this year Bradley Beal and that means Bradley Beal has more space to work and that's a very good thing for Bradley Beal. Then maybe that means it's easier for him to get to the basket or to get to a pull-up or to suck somebody in from the opposite side and create a look for a teammate in the corner. All of those are benefits that come from the instinct that a defender has that I need to get out on this guy. And Bertans, in particular for me, was, and Greg Popovich is the greatest NBA coach of the time I've covered the league. He's an incredible inc- incredible tactician and motivator and all that. I do think that he has pretty regularly underutilized Bertans, partially because of their personnel. They had a lot of bigs. He likes to play traditional fives, all that kind of stuff. But also just because they, they you know, were kind of in a different mind space. And so I think Bertans will really open up real estate for the Wizards and – when you have a young roster, when you have a flawed roster, when you have a weak roster, that can make a huge difference. And incidentally, to bring up another team, that is a reason I'm a little bit worried about the Pelicans. Because the Pelicans could use a guy like Davis Bertans. Incidentally, they had his brother last year. His brother is not nearly as good. But that sort of player who who has size but you but does not keep his defender near the basket makes life easier on his four teammates. You know, a lot of times I think when we talk about like the general conversation about screen setting, people think of the most important thing that you can do as a screen setter is to lay out the defender, right? Or at least get a body on the defender, body him up so that you impede the path of the defender. People think of that as the most important thing you can do for screening because if you do that, then you can get someone else open, you can get yourself open, you cause chaos in the defense, all these different obvious things that we all know, right? 
I don't think it's always true that the most important thing that you can do is get a body into the defender. Obviously, you always want to do that, but sometimes the most important thing that a guy can do, depending on what kind of screener he is, and you talk about, like, Bertans isn't a guy, like, he's not Steven Adams. He's not just going to square up everybody who comes and and knock that dude on his ass. He's not, like, a great guy for targeting somebody on a screen, but what he does do is he makes a defense talk. And he can cause confusion and panic within a defense when you do that because you can cause confusion. You can cause confusion and panic because you can cause confusion. Now, that is that is a great writer if I've ever heard one. Uh, when you force guys into situations where they have to communicate, they can make mistakes. And that's what you get when you have Bertans setting this stuff, even if he's not necessarily squaring guys up. He's such a great shooter. And he's such a respected shooter now that you can really confuse defenders into messing up. I think that could be a tremendous weapon for the Wizards. They are not going to be good defensively. I mean, they're going to be a bottom three or four defense this year. Offensively, I could see them putting out good lineups. Like a lineup with Bradley Beal, Bertans, Thomas Bryant, CJ Miles. They're shooting there. You could run pick and roll with Beal and Bryant and have Bertans and, and Miles, who are both, you know, legitimately good to great catch and shoot guys and, and Bryant rolling to the into the inside and he's a very good role man and Bryant can even shoot catch and shoot threes and you know, that's something that you could have some solid offensive lineups that could that could even really get hot. You know, there are going to be games where, like, Miles is going to hit four threes and Bertans is going to hit four threes and Beal's going to hit six and the Wizards are just going to win because they hit 18 threes as a team. Like, that's going to happen a few times this year because they have enough guys who are capable of getting hot. On some nights, it's not going to happen often, but on some nights, it's going to happen all on the same night and they're going to win a game because of that. And if Bertans can use that ability to just, like, make guys panic and when guys are panicking, they're more likely to make mistakes... Like, that's going to be a really nice weapon for them. I feel like his acquisition has been a little bit undersold, and he could be really good for them. He'll also be missed by the Spurs. Here's my favorite Davis Bertans. Oh, the Spurs stat. gave him away. turned out for, for no reason. For To get to get Trey Lyles. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, but So here's my favorite Davis Bertans stat. I just looked this up. Using cleaning the glasses filters so that takes out garbage time, the San Antonio Spurs played... 1,594 minutes with Bertans, and I believe it's 1,594. No, I I misstated a little bit. I was going to say it was the same number on and off, but this is the actual stat. San Antonio's offensive rating when Bertans was on the floor, 119.4. That is very, very good. When he was off the floor, drops a full 10 points per 100 possessions to 109.4, which is not great. One of the largest disparities in the league. And remember that Davis Bertans did not start for the Spurs last year. And he did not play, you know, he played a significant amount of his minutes not with their best players. And that isn't to say this is not a causation type of thing. I'm not saying Davis Bertans was the key to the Spurs offense and he's the whole reason they were any good or anything silly like that. But it's the idea that having floor spacing makes life easier on everybody else. Yeah. When you have him on the floor, good things tend to happen. I think we can say that. What what anything about the Wizards intrigue you? Anything about the Wizards intrigue you? I know we're in like a dead period where there's not that much. 
I'm going to do like a season preview stuff leading into media day. But like what is is there anything about this team that makes you think I'm so curious to see what happens there? Other so than we're not, we're, we're not talking about like what happens with Bradley Beal and trade. No, Bradley Beal okay. trade is off the table. That's the obvious okay. answer. I'm not allowing it. Well, the easiest one for me is Hachimura because I did not watch much of him at Gonzaga. I saw some of him in Summer League and was intrigued at times, and uh, I didn't watch as much of the FIBA World Cup as I intended to, partially because the U.S. got knocked out so early. But I always get interested when people who I like and people who I respect have positive things to say about somebody that I haven't seen. So, like, Sam Vecini likes Hashimura, a bunch of other people do. And so I want to see that in action and really see it, you know, preseason will be big for me with him. I wonder how that's going to fit in. And with a lot of players, I, I'm i really excited to see not only their offensive fit but their defensive fit. How do they move their feet? What kind of recognition do they have? And understanding that it's a long game. Hashimura is not going to be at his peak his first year in the NBA, or even his second or his third. But what are the little the little signs? What are the little pieces of signal that we can separate out? And the Wizards are playing the long game now. I'm, we don't know how long a game it's going to be. Hopefully John Wall comes back 100% and the last three years of his contract look a little bit better. And maybe Brad, whatever happens with Bradley Beal happens. But to me, Hashimura, unless you want to say Troy Brown, those are really the the first guys in the next step and how the terming the terminology that I use for this is the next great blank team. So in this case, it'd obviously be the wizards and we don't know when that's going to be, but I get really interested in how those type of guys, Troy Brown, Hashimura in particular, how they start to fit in whenever that timeline is. I think the wizards can be encouraged. I don't know how much you watch the Japanese national team at the world cup. But I think the Wizards can be encouraged about the way he played at the World Cup. I know he had played three games. He was not good for two of them. He struggled mightily against the U.S. And uh, he was not good in the opener against Turkey. He played very well against the Czech Republic. But the reason that I say that is because right off the bat, Turkey is just throwing double and triple teams at him the whole game. And she kept his composure. Like, he had a couple of bad turnovers, but for the most part, he was responding and making pretty quick decisions against those, against pro-level defenders. And the same thing happened in each of the next two games. And it really showed when he was hitting his shots against the Czech Republic. He looks good when he's hitting his mid-range shots, which is like, shocker, that's the whole thing with the mid-range. You look good when you hit him. But the fact that he, you know, he's not even stepped on the court as an NBA player yet, because that doesn't happen for another two weeks, that he's still keeping his composures against double and triple teams because he's obviously the number one target for everybody who was going up against him, and that he's still kind of being able to get up okay-looking shots and still being able to... You want him to become a better facilitator, and you want him making quicker decisions, and you want him to be able to take his game out to three, and you want him to be able to react quicker, cut more, have a better feel, all those sorts of things, things the Wizards think will come. But but the fact that he was not completely overwhelmed by that style of defense, I didn't think, especially not in the Czech Republic game, which is a pretty good international team that finished sixth at the World Cup. I thought that the Wizards could be reasonably encouraged by that. Like, that was a nice thing to see. 
You don't need to see a dude go for 26 points in order to say, you know what, that was that was okay. That was that was that was pretty encouraging. And I think the Wizards, I think they felt pretty optimistic about what they saw from him at summer league. I think they felt optimistic after that, and I think that's a pretty reasonable way to feel after the way that he after the way that he responded to that sort of defense on a team where he's not playing with other, you know, NBA guys, not even not even close. That's great to hear, and there there is a value to that experience, especially because oh yeah, you never, I'm, you never I'm a know big what believer. Kind of like I know Bill Bill Simmons is riding this train harder than anyone about how much the international play can can help guys. Like yeah, I think it probably really helps young guys just to be able to get them, especially like really young guys, just get them around pros and have them you know learn just the way that pros act and live and what makes them successful and all these things. Like that can help a dude who's not even a rookie yet, you know? Yeah, it, it absolutely can. And and something else that I'm interested in with the Wizards is is kind of which of those late in the roster spot because they a lot of their late in the roster guys are, are really young and a lot of them have team control beyond the coming season. Which of them look like they can be? I mean, if it's a rotation player, rotation player, or even a starter moving forward, can they find something in Jamario Jones or Bonga or Wagner to really get to that level? Because every guy you can get on a team-friendly contract that can be stable, reliable, positive, for even even if it's 10 to 15 minutes a game, is really valuable. And we've seen seasons derailed because of that kind of shortcoming. So I, I'm interested in how, how those sorts of things work out too. And th- I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of development, a lot of ebb and flow over the course of the season, so it'll be worth watching the whole time. Yes, it will. Yeah, I mean that's very true. Uh they they want to be able to find those diamonds in the rough. And I I don't think if you asked them and you gave them truth serum and you said, "Do you think Mo Wagner is going to work out?" I don't know if they would say yes. But I think if you said, "Okay, you got Mo Wagner, you got Justin Robinson, you got Justin Anderson, you got Jamario Jones, you got Isaac Bonga, you got Wagner, you got Am I forgetting anybody else? I guess we'll include Troy Brown in there. We'll include Admiral, include Admiral Schofield. Of those guys, are two of those guys going to hit? I think they would say yeah. I think the whole point is that they're trying to cast as wide of a net as they can, and they want some of those guys to hit. I mean, I I, I was just on another podcast, and I, I kind of said a similar thing to where, like, the 2016 Nets are going out and they're trying to find their Spencer Didwitties and Karis Leverts and D'Angelo Russells. And you can't always be as successful as that situation because that was like the ideal way to do it. And you got to have some luck on your side too. But if you just keep recycling guys in, you know, the Sixers during the Hinky year or the years were doing the same thing where you just cycle guys in and you it's not about your batting average. You gotta remember always, batting average does not matter here. It's only amount about the total amount of hits. If you go two for thirty or two for three, you're doing the exact same. So when winning isn't necessarily the priority at the moment, which right now it's not and it shouldn't be with this roster, you cycle guys in, you cast a wide net, and you hope some of those guys can hit. And yeah, that that's probably the most interesting part of this team right now because that's going to determine their future. Because if three of those guys that I just named, you know, eight players or whatever they are, if three of those guys are hits, that's a tremendous success. I mean, tremendous 
success for them and would be massive for their future. It's also worth noting that Hit does not have to be starter or all-star. It can be no, it can member, be member nice of rotation, rotation player. Yeah, nice yeah, rotation player. Those are exceedingly important, and especially because a lot of those guys are under contract for another couple of years. That would be that would be huge, and also because the Wizards don't have a ton. I mean, obviously John Wall is the notable exception here, but you know, with Mahimi and CJ and Bertans coming off the books, though maybe some of those guys come back using bird rights or whatever, they have the flexibility where they can actually reap the benefits for other things because the more roster spots they have spoken for, the, f- the fewer resources, the, the more resources they can throw at fewer spots, which is incredibly valuable because those teams that have to put out five fires at once generally don't do a good job of putting out any of them. Anything else? I pl- plug your stuff because we're going to wrap up in a sec, but uh, plug, plug, plug all your great work before we go. Sure. I'm a regular part, though not as much right now, uh, for the Dunked on Basketball podcast, which I do with Nate Duncan in season. We do the NBA cast as well. Then my writing is at The Athletic. I'm starting, actually, to do my 2020 offseason stuff is going to start coming out pretty soon. I was just working on a league-wide estimate, which, of course, includes the Wizards, and I'm going to do some free agency preview and all that type of stuff before I get into the granular team-specific content, which will be coming soon enough. Then Real Jam Radio is my, my own show, Fred might be on in the near future. Let's just say that's a possibility. And that is once a week. I had Nate and Dan Feldman on this week, and I had Ben Taylor on in a really interesting conversation about team building and championships and all that stuff. That came out on Friday, so you can listen to that as well. Great. Great. And uh, you can follow Danny on Twitter at uh, – are you just Danny LaRue? I am. Danny LaRue. L-E-R-O-U-X. I've always thought about – just starting a fake Twitter for you and calling it Danny LaRue's. I think that would be a very good fake Danny LaRue Twitter. You yeah. can subscribe to Wizards After Dark. You can give us five stars. You can leave a review. As I always say, ooh, the phone's ringing. That's professional. As I always say, leaving a review really helps. Um, it helps a lot more than you would appreciate, or than, you would, uh, than one would realize. We are going to be back... Probably next week. And uh, I'm going to do a preview at some point leading up into media day. And uh, at some point during the preseason, I'll get back to a normal schedule, post-game shows and all that stuff. The same thing we did last year. Danny, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'll be back next week. I'll talk to you guys soon.